This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance, and I'm glad to be joining you today. As we are drawing to the end of this year, I have a whole bunch of um, different thoughts running through my mind. And today's podcast, I wanted to just take a second, actually, to share with you some insights that I got recently reading a book. I love to read, love the opportunity to learn and to grow. And recently, I read a book. It's titled Gospel Patrons, People Whose Generosity Changed the World. It's by John Reinhardt. And this book, Gospel Patrons, just sparked some reflections in my own soul about what it looks like to see God use the generosity of his people to move gospel ministry forward. You know, sometimes when we think about the movement of the gospel, like as a church, we've been journeying through the book of Acts together. We tend to focus on these incredible moments of gospel proclamation, you know, where God uses the apostle Paul to push the gospel to a new area, or God uses the witness of Peter and James and John and the early apostles to establish the witness of Jesus in the early church. What we overlook sometimes are actually people whose generosity and whose lives were just as central to how the movement of the gospel spread in the first century. These were patrons, to use the term that John Reinhardt uses. They are people that God blessed with financial and material prosperity for the purpose of pushing forward gospel movement. They're people who used the stewardship that God entrusted to them to propel the movement of the gospel forward. And actually, without them, the movement forward of the gospel wouldn't have happened. They're titans of gospel philanthropy. They're people whose generosity made a difference for the good of the world. So I actually want to take some time to share some of the stories that I actually was reminded of from this book, Gospel Patrons, and to try to inspire in all of us a sort of kingdom dreaming about how we could be used to push the gospel forward. You know, maybe the call of God on your life isn't that you're going to be a preacher of the gospel on a big stage, but that you're going to be someone that can use the material goods that God's given you to help push the gospel to new areas, to be a gospel patron. And so what I want to talk to you first off is about the concept biblically of what being a supporter of the ministry of the gospel financially looks like. Then I actually want to just tell a couple stories from church history that you may not know about. Just people who are pictures of this sort of kingdom-minded generosity. And then I just want to finally kind of wrap up with some reflections. For those of us Whatever God has entrusted to us financially that would spur us on a hope to both faithfulness, but also strategic kingdom mindset in the way that we think about our material resources. So, first off, I want to lay some biblical foundation. And if you can't hear, I just took a drink of coffee there. I not only lay biblical foundations, I want to drink coffee while I record a podcast, apparently. So, Luke chapter 8 is the first biblical foundation that I want to lay when we think about gospel patrons. Let me just read a couple of these verses. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 says, After Jesus was traveling from town to town, village to village, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God, the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, and Herod's servant, Susanna, 
and many others, and here's a key phrase, who were supporting them from their possessions. So the ministry of Jesus is moving forward in power. They're seeing healings and miracles, signs and wonders. But financially, what is helping that movement move forward is the generosity of people like Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna, those who supported the ministry from their possessions. That's the idea of a gospel patron. It's someone that God has blessed with material means to support and move forward gospel ministry. They're, they're givers who, out of their abundance, fuel the movement of the gospel. And in fact, the book of Luke, not only does it give this example in Luke chapter 8, but actually the book of Luke itself is the product not only of Luke's writing, but also likely the product of the generosity of a gospel patron. The book of Luke begins with this dedication that Luke gives in Luke chapter 1 verse 3 to this person called Most Honorable Theophilus. That Luke says, I wrote these events because I wanted to give you an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus. He mentions Theophilus again at the beginning of the book of Acts. And most biblical scholars will tell you that Theophilus is actually likely someone who's through their generosity, through their support of Luke, funded the necessary research and compilation that Luke would have done to compile the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Theophilus is a gospel patron. Out of his generosity, gospel movement moved forward. We could keep reading through Luke's, Luke's works because there are many stories like this, both in the Gospel of Luke, in the story of Acts, right? You have Aquila and Priscilla. You have Lydia, the seller of purple. You have these people mentioned all throughout the writing of the New Testament who God used their generosity to fuel gospel movement. And it's not just the pattern of biblical history, it's the pattern of church history. Here's a few of the patterns that John Reinhardt shares about in his book, Gospel Patrons, People Whose Generosity Changed the World. He goes back to the story of the Reformation and to the work of William Tyndale. I've done a biographical sermon, actually, that we can link to in the show notes here on uh, William Tyndale at Cornerstone. Tyndale was the man most responsible for the translation of the New Testament into English. And William Tyndale, though, what many people don't know is that he was supported throughout the translation of the New Testament by a wealthy cloth merchant named Lord Monmouth. And Monmouth, this cloth merchant, was central to the work that William Tyndale was able to do. He was central because at a time when actually the uh, Church of England was aggressively antagonistic toward Tyndale, Monmouth gave Tyndale a space to study. He gave him a room in his home to work. And really, many of Tyndale's early works translated in the New Testament happened inside of Monmouth's home. Not only that, later in life, after Tyndale has completed his translation of the New Testament into English, he wants to have these books that were printed in Germany brought back and distributed in England. Well, how is he going to be able to get those books back? The answer was actually Monmouth's cloth merchant business meant he was shipping cloths across from England to Germany, and they would smuggle back versions of the New Testament among this wealthy cloth merchant's cargo. So, William Tyndale, who brought the gospel through the Bible to the English-speaking world, could not have done his ministry without the generous patronage of Monmouth. 
It's actually this wealthy cloth merchant who at the end of his life, William Tyndale looks back and thanks as one of the central figures of moving the gospel back into England. So Humphrey Monmouth, he's a gospel patron. God used his generosity to move the gospel forward. Okay, that's, that's one story. Here's another one. You may have heard of George Whitfield. George Whitfield was an incredible preacher of the gospel. He was centrally important to the spread of the first great awakening, both in England and in the American colonies at that point. In his, the course of his lifetime, uh, George Whitfield may have preached more than any person living at that time. It's said on record that George Whitfield preached in his lifetime, I believe the number is 34,000, no, no, pardon me, 18,000 sermons. That's the number. 18,000 sermons over the course of 34 consecutive years of gospel ministry. So if you're, you're doing the average, that means he averaged preaching for 34 years consecutively, 10 sermons per week, more than 500 a year for 34 straight years. Can you imagine that? I mean, I can get through three, people congratulate, three services. Guys, this is before amplification. He is traveling on horseback all throughout the American colonies, preaching on the plan of God, on the salvation of God. Actually, the final day of his life for, for George Whitfield, he was planning to preach that day. And with the day almost gone, a friend had cautioned him. Here's the quote. It said, sir, you're more fit to go to bed than to preach. And George Whitfield replied and said, that is true, sir. He said, Lord Jesus, I'm weary in your work, but not of it. I've not yet finished my course. Let me go speak for you once more in the fields. Come home and die. And he did that. He preached for two hours. God gave him the strength. And at 55 years old, George Whitfield died having preached the gospel at that time to more people living in the world than any other person. He was an incredible gospel preacher. Scores of people were saved through his ministry. And the ministry of George Whitfield never would have happened in the fullness that it did without the support of a gospel patron by the name of Lady Huntington. She was married to Lord Huntington, a very wealthy individual in uh, England at that time. And she used the wealth that was left to her by her late husband to fuel gospel ministry through George Whitfield all across England and throughout the world. She would do many, many, many things. Uh, she regularly would invite wealthy members, even of the British Parliament, to her home, and then she would have George Whitfield come in and preach the gospel to them. So she, she used what God gave her to get an audience for the gospel. She underwrote financially the support of George Whitfield so that he could continue preaching day after day after day. All throughout England, there were churches that were built and financed in part with the wealth that God had given to her. George Whitfield was one of the greatest preachers of revival that has ever lived, and yet there's no way he could have been as faithful in the ministry he had if not for Lady Huntington, a gospel patron. Okay, let me give you one other historical example in, from the United Kingdom, from the ministry of John Newton. John Newton, a former uh, slave trader who wrote the, 
the hymn Amazing Grace. His story also is recorded in this book, Gospel Patrons. I'm just kind of reviewing some of these stories out of this book for you. And in the story of John Newton, author John Reinhardt talks about the gospel patron John Thornton, who was an entrepreneur and business owner who supported the ministry of John Newton. Actually, Thornton worked to see Newton's um, ministry expand. Eventually, he helped John Newton to move from a smaller church to a church in London. And then John Thornton was, not only was a financial supporter, he introduced John Newton to multiple influential people in the city of London, one of whom happened to be a young member of the British Parliament named William Wilberforce. And it is through John Newton and William Wilberforce and a band of Christians in London who came together that a vision to see the slave trade abolished in the English colonies happened. And so actually in William Wilberforce's life, John Newton, who before Christ used to be a slave trader, after Christ comes together and ends up working with William Wilberforce to see the abolition of slavery in the English colonies. That introduction to William Wilberforce and much of the ministry of John Newton could not have happened without the doors opened through personal invitation and financial generosity by the wealthy merchant, John Thornton. Okay, William Tyndale and Humphrey Monmouth, George Whitfield and Lady Huntington, John Newton and John Thornton. Those are just a few examples. We could talk about the Guinness family in Ireland that funded missions all throughout the globe, even in our own day. You have the Green family, owners of Hobby Lobby, who are fervent believers in Christ, whose family mission, they state, is to love God intimately and to live extravagant generosity. And through the success of their business, they have funded scores of gospel works all across North America. I mean, I could even look, friends, across the history of Cornerstone Church. And as we come to the end of the year and we're thinking about how we can live generously toward others, I reflect back over the history of this church and the incredible generosity of so many faithful Christians and also some that have really been true gospel patrons of the ministry of Cornerstone and of the Salt Network. People who have been part of the founding mission of this church, who God has blessed with material prosperity and who they have seen that as a a stewardship given to them to invest that generously into kingdom multiplication. So this book, I'd commit it to you. It is a wonderful, interesting book, Gospel Patrons, People Whose Generosity Changed the World by John Reinhart. It's an easy read, but with wonderful stories that motivate us to think about how we can use whatever God has given us as an investment into seeing the gospel go forward. And I know some of you who listen to this, you're, you're like me. You're not coming from a place where you are independently wealthy or where you have a large financial stewardship at your disposal. You might say, well, Mark, what does this podcast about gospel patronage have to do with me? Well, I think for all of us, what we learn in the gospels is that Jesus, he's the master and he gives both gifts of ability, gifts of financial resource as he wills. And the Lord of the harvest, he gives to some five talents or some to four talents, some to two talents, some one talent. He gives us each a different measure of grace. 
Some, he gives the gift of material wealth. Others, he gives us just what we need. And at the end of the day, the question is not how much, like in your bank account, how much you know, personal wealth has God given you? Here's the question that is asked of you repeated in the New Testament. Will you be faithful to invest what the king's given? You know, in the parable of the talents in the gospel, it says that he gives one five talents, another two talents, another one talent. And the, the servants who are rewarded are those who take what the Lord has given and invest it so that they see it multiply and go forward. You know, the question is not how much you have. The question is whether you're willing to use what you do have faithfully and invest it strategically. And I think the challenge that this book, Gospel Patrons, put on my heart is it it gave me a new vision to say, God, I want to use whatever you have given to me in as strategic a way as possible to advance the gospel. You know, all of these people who I mentioned— Humphrey Monmouth, Lady Huntington, John Thornton, they were successful financially. They built prosperous businesses. They actually invested the wealth they had and expanded it, but they didn't do it with the vision of the rest of the world to get rich and to die fat, sassy, and happy. No, the vision that the gospel patron has is to take whatever financial and material resources God has given, to invest it strategically for the sake of giving with extravagant generosity. You know, I've, I heard, had somebody teach me one time that God often gives people the gift of generosity and the gift of money-making in combination. In other words, God gives people the ability to earn who show faithfulness to give. That's not a promise that if you give generously, you're going to get wealthy. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is I've seen the pattern. The gift of generosity, you can only be generous with what you have. And often those who are the most generous find that the master is most generous with them. He loves to entrust his resources with those who won't cling to it, but who will give it away strategically. And so I want to ask you a question today. Have you thought as strategically about how you will invest what God has given you into the kingdom as you have thought about how you're going to invest in your 401k. So a little bit of background on me. Before I was a pastor, I worked for a while in finance, and I became acquainted at that time with um, various investment bankers who worked inside the office where I was at and talked to them about how do you invest money and what does it look like and how's the stock market work. I learned a ton back in those early days of my my life. And um they taught me an awful lot of lessons. And one of them was, um, you need to think strategically about what you have. You know, one taught me the principle, every raise that you get, instead of immediately beginning to raise your level of living, you should take every raise you get and intentionally save a portion of that back. Because you were living on what you made prior, you should save back a portion and over time, increase your level of savings. That was a really great investment principle. Another taught me the the principle of compounding interest, that over time, if you save a little bit over a long period of time and that earns a rate of return, in time, actually, you can grow that little into a lot. And so Crystal and I, really early on in our marriage, made kind of a prayerful decision. We said, God, we want to be faithful stewards. So we started saving when we were in our 20s, not so that we could retire 
and live fat and sassy like the rest of the world, but so that as we went on in our lives, every year of our lives, we could be more generous than we were the year prior. And I still have that as a huge goal in my life. I want to be able to give back at least a million dollars to the church. It's given so much to me. Well, I don't make that much. And so if you average that out, let's say I work 50 years of work, if I was tithing or giving back, maybe I could I give back $20,000 a year? Well, that was unattainable for me for many years. But if I would invest strategically in my 20s, I could grow that investment over time to give it back. So our goal has been, how can we live a simple and beautiful life to live generously? Now, look, I share that with you as a goal, not because God's telling you everybody has to do that. That's just a dream that we've had. We want to be able to do that, and we're praying that God would give us the capacity to do so. For some of you, your, your dream needs to start smaller. You need to say, instead of just a lavish, extravagant goal of a dollar amount to give, you need to start to give faithfully today. Because when you're faithful with the little and you give, God will entrust more. For some of you, God's given a business to steward or a position of influence to steward. And what I want to ask you is just really this simple question. Will you think like a gospel patron? Will you have a vision for how God can use what he's entrusted to you to give away to others? Because God often entrusts monetary resources to gospel champions. And so as we draw to the end of the year of 2020, I hope some of the stories from church history are inspiring to you. They were to me. They just reminded me again in this simple little book, Gospel Patrons by John Reinhardt. We'll link to, to this in the show notes. This little book again stirred up in me. I want to have a kingdom vision. I want the treasure of my heart to be in the kingdom of God. And even at the, as we draw to the end of 2020, I want to end this year generously. I want to continue forward in this idea that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that as we blessed in the kingdom of God, Actually, giving toward God's kingdom is the best investment strategy we could ever have. It's better than a 401k. It's better than an investment property because we're investing into a kingdom where moth and rust can't destroy and where thieves can't break in and steal. So God bless you as you try to live like these gospel patrons did, a life of generosity that would change the world. 